Welcome, Watermark Plano. Uh, my name is Derek Matthews. I'm the men's equipment director here at the Plano campus. Excited to be here this morning. And if your house is like mine this time of year, tis the season for resolutions, right? You've had some time over the last couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, in which you've rested, you've reflected, and now you're thinking ahead about what could be in the new year. Uh, 2018 is almost done. And 2019 is coming, and you're ready because you got some resolutions that's going to crush 2019. It's going to be amazing. And so maybe you, like me, over the last couple of weeks, uh, man, you've uh, just have not eaten great. Like nothing you've eaten has been quite Whole30 approved. Uh, basically, in the last two months, we've had Halloween, we've had Thanksgiving, and we've had Christmas, and basically people love to celebrate and uh, uh, share their love through fat, butter, and sugar, uh, which I'm not complaining, but it is showing at this point. And um, maybe for you, this is the season. This is the year that you're going to commit to get fit, right? This is the time in which, man, you got some new clothes from Christmas. You got shoes. You got a Fitbit so you can be a bit more fit. And you're ready. You're ready for the new year. So much so that you've committed to doing Whole30. I mean, you are ready you said you were going to do it last year, it didn't happen, but this is the year that you're going to do it because all of your friends have done it, and the way you know that is because they've told you several times because you are contractually obligated once you do Whole30 to tell everyone you've known that you've done Whole30. That's just a part of the gig. And so you're ready. You're going to do Whole30 because anyone who's done Whole30 knows that that's basically what it means to be fully devoted to Jesus at that point. That's what that whole be strong is all about. And so you're ready to be fit in the new year. Or maybe for you, uh, you've been wa- binge-watched uh, Christmas movie after Christmas movie after Christmas movie, and let's just be honest, they're all basically the same. Girl comes home from Chris- to Christmas, she meets her old high school fling, and then they get together, it's a little clumsy at first, but there's a moment right about the middle in which they almost kiss, but it's interrupted awkwardly, and so they kind of goes their separate ways, there's conflict, but then Christmas saves them. And so they come back at Christmas Eve and, you know, snowflakes coming down at the right moment, right at midnight, and they just kiss each other, roll credits. You watch the next one, same story, over and over and over and over again, and then you watch Elf, uh, which is completely different. And so you've binge-watched a bunch of stuff over the last couple of weeks, and so you're going, you know what, this is the year, this is the season, I'm going to commit to read more. I'm going to finish that book I started this time last year, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. And so since you don't like reading, you're just going to get an Audible account and then tell people you read that book, you know, which is lying, but I'm doing that as well. So um, we'll call it even. So this is the year, man, you're going to read more. Or maybe this is the year over the last couple of weeks you've spent a little bit too much money uh, on Christmas gifts, on vacations, on holiday stuff. And so this is the year that you're going to get your finances in order. You're going to diversify your portfolio. You're going to invest into HSA. Or if you're younger, you're going to learn what HSA stands for. And that's going to be a big moment for you this year. I'm excited for you. But this is the year for resolution. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe some of you are really ambitious. Man, you're going to do it all. You're going to read more, you're going to work out more, you're going to run more, you're going to spend more time with your family, more time at work so you make more money, make more friends, invest more, and uh, spend some more time volunteering. You're going to do all of that in the same amount of time, the same 24-hour period that you had last year, and you did none of that. But it's okay because you got an iWatch. 
And that's going to tell you when to do all this stuff, when to stand up, when to sit down, when to breathe, apparently. That's a, that's a new feature. And that's going to make 2019 an amazing year. This is the season for resolutions. Now, what's interesting about a resolution is this. You're basically looking yourself in the mirror, right? But then you're looking down kind of the corridor of time to this future version of yourself. And that future version has, has, has what you really want. More joy, more laughter, more love, whatever that might be. That, that future version has something that you know right now you don't have. And so a resolution is basically declaring that there's a way to live life that I'm not currently living. And yet if I were to do these things, I would achieve the end goal in mind. And so I look at the end, and it changes the way I live now. And so resolutions are good. I think it's good to reflect, especially this time of year. It's kind of built into the rhythm of our calendar year that this time of the year you can reflect and then think about where you want to go. I think the problem with resolutions, though, is that they're too short-sighted. We think in terms of months or maybe a full year. And so all of our resolutions end up being just about what we're going to do here in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, next couple of months, the next year. And they end up being really short-sighted. And they end up being not the right resolutions to make. We look down the corridor of time and go, there's a version of ourselves we want to be, and I'm not there yet. And yet I don't think we look far enough. D.L. Moody said it great. He said, our greatest fear shouldn't be failure. It shouldn't be that you're not going to fulfill your resolutions this year. Our greatest fear is that we would succeed at doing the wrong thing. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look past the next couple months. And I want to look at the end. Not of 2019, but at the end of your life. And so I don't want to talk about how we're supposed to live. I want to talk about how to die. Because when we look past the next couple months, the next year, we look all the way into our last moments. The way we see the end and the way we want to be there, the person we want to be in that moment, it'll change the way we live now. And so in order to do that, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or Bible phones, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And for those of you who know this part of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is Paul's last letter on earth. Paul, according to religious and secular uh, historians, have all declared that outside of Jesus, Paul has made the most impact of any other person that has ever lived on this earth. He has written the bulk of your New Testament. He has lived a life that is faithful. And so we're going to see his very last letter and the last chapter of his letter. And notice he doesn't write it to Rome. He doesn't write it to Corinthians. He doesn't write Second Romans or Third Corinthians. He writes it to one single individual, young, timid, faithful Timothy. He's writing to us. And so I want to look at this last chapter of the last book in the last days of one of the most faithful men that ever lived. I want to see how he died. Because if we can see how he died, it'll help us to understand how we're supposed to live. And so as you, as we move through this, we're going to see five different ways about how Paul died. That he preached the word on the platform that he had. He poured himself out every moment of every day for the cause of Christ. He pursued relationships even till the end. He persevered in hardships as they came. 
And all these were wrapped together as he pressed into Christ. So we're going to look at these different things and hopefully make some resolutions worth keeping. Let's get going. First up, how do you die? You preach the word. You preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says it this way. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Okay, let's pause for a second. Paul has not said anything yet. He says, I charge you, but he hasn't actually said what he's charging you with. He hasn't given a charge. He hasn't given a command. All he's done is saying, I'm about to charge you with something. And let me remind you, this is in the presence of God Almighty and of Christ Jesus, who just as a reminder is going to come, return, rip open the sky, and all men, all women will stand before him. No more resolutions. No more second chances. And we will stand before him and he will judge the living and the dead by his appearing as he usher in his kingdom. And so whatever Paul says next is of grave importance. We've been thinking a lot this last month about Christmas. Paul is referring to second Christmas. Where Jesus will return. So with that in mind, what's so important, Paul? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, some of you might be reading that and go, yes, this has nothing to do with me. That's so great. When Jesus returns and comes back, this is one of those commands that applies to Timothy, and maybe that applies to, to, to other pastors or preachers, but I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, and so this is not going to apply to me. And so when God is rolling off the list of all the commands, this is not one of them that's going to apply to me. False. That word preach the word actually means to proclaim the word or herald the world. It has nothing to do with this platform right here. It has everything to do with the platform that God has given work, at your home, and your families, and your communities, that we are to be preachers of the word of God. I am very well aware of how needed this moment right here is, that we all come together under one banner, and we hear teaching from the word of God collectively. I'm very well aware of how needed this is and how insufficient this is. Because one person preaching one time a week in one location doesn't do much. A thousand people in a thousand locations every day of the week proclaiming the word of God, that'll change Collin County. That'll change this world. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that the best message given this week needs to be on the platform that God has given you? It's because we're living in verse 3. Verse 3 says it this way, for a time is coming, it's here. It's here. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so we're living in this time, we're living in this age in which it's all the more easier to kind of separate ourselves into our different categories and just surround ourselves with people who think like us, act like us, believe like us. And so we wonder why we're at where we're at right now. We are seeing the fruit of us, all of us, not preaching the word of God in the platform that God has given you. We're seeing the fruit of it right now in our culture. And there was dozens of illustrations I could point to, but the freshest one for me is just everything that's happening right now with the Boy Scouts. Over the last couple of years, you've heard it in the news that oh, the Boy Scouts have, have been uh, kind of inundated with a lot of just cultural pressure. And for a while, they just stood strong. They went to court over it, and they won. And yet, over the last couple of months, you've heard. Boy Scouts want to accept Girl Scouts, or girls? redefine just being a part of the sexual revolution that our country is going through right now? And then the Girl Scouts sue the Boy Scouts? And then it comes out that the Boy Scouts have had to file bankruptcy in the midst of all that. In that time, I called up a buddy of mine who was in leadership within Boy Scouts, and I just asked him, I said, hey, what, what happened? What happened here? Like, back in my day, uh, like, I, I just felt like th- th- there was this commonality between the Boy Scouts and, and, and Christian values. It was never a Christian organization, but it had so many similar values to it. So when I was a Cub Scout, I never made it, made it to boy, but, but whenever I was a Cub Scout, man, it just felt different. So what happened, and his answer surprised me, because he said, none of this surprises me. I go, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, a couple years ago, there was all this pressure that the scouts were getting. Christians didn't speak up. They just left. And all the light started to move away, and then we wonder why it's dark now. And so over time, it became easier and easier and easier for the pressure that the culture was giving to the scouts for them to succumb to it. Because the people of God weren't preaching the word of God. And we're seeing nationally this grand thing happening right now. We're seeing the fruit of what's happening. He just says, hey, none of this surprises me. What did we expect was going to happen? When the people of God don't preach the word of God, don't stand up and speak. Now multiply that at your PTAs, in your community, at your kids' school, in your neighborhood, at your work. When elections come, and we wonder why we're at where we're at right now, it's because we have believed this horrible lie that preaching happens up here. So what's your platform? Do you have it? Do you have one? What is it? Preach the word. Or as he says in verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, because you're going to need to be sober-minded. You're going to need to think rightly. Endure suffering because it's going to come whenever you speak up. Do the work of an evangelist. That means someone that pushes forward the good news of Jesus Christ. And then watch this. One of my three favorite words in Scripture, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Not Todd's, not JP's, not the person that you kind of think God is really using. Fulfill your ministry on the platform that God has given you that is distinct from the person that's sitting next to you, fulfill your ministry. Imagine if we all did that. 
if we all preached the word in the platform that we gave, if we all were open and shared about what God was teaching us and, we, and, and didn't feel ashamed or scared to say the name of Jesus in a context that isn't welcoming of that, but we stood firm on the line of Judah and didn't get freaked out by the kittens in the room. Imagine if that happened. You fulfill your ministry. God has given you a platform to preach the word. That's how you live, because that's how you die. So as you preach the word, pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. And that's where Paul goes next. He says it in verse six. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. That meant that everything about him was emptied. And a time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but everyone that loves his appearing. And so watch this. Everything about Paul's life was poured out for the cause of Christ. His time, his talents, his treasures, everything was bent towards one singular end for the name of Jesus. But I want you to notice why. It's not to earn his salvation. It's not to earn God's love. That future version of yourself that you think about, God doesn't love that version more than you right now. I struggle with that a lot, that God loves this future Derek more than he loves the Derek that woke up this morning. That's not why Paul did this. He did it because he already had salvation. He did it because there was already waiting for him joy eternally. And so because of the promised joy of the future, it let him pour himself out in the present. Because of the promised joy in the future, it allowed him to pour himself out in the present. And so this was one of the main lessons I learned this past year. You see, this past year, um, every Tuesday night, I would gather together on this campus with a number of other men at Regeneration, our 12-step discipleship program. And I would walk in, and I would sit in a circle, and I would just open up a chair. I'd say, hey, I'm, my name is Derek Matthews. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from fear, which leads to anxiety, which leads to control. And everyone would say, hey, guys. And so I said, hey, my name is Derek. That's the identity that I was born with. That's the, that, that's the life I, I had. That, that, that's the name that my parents gave me. But I have this new life in Christ. I, I have eternity waiting for him because of the, because, for me because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection and who he was and what he did. I have this new life in Christ. I have the spirit of God in me. I have joy awaiting for me. And yet right now in the present, I still struggle with fear, which leads me to anxiety which leads me to try to control everything. And so I would introduce myself. And throughout that year, God would kept showing me different idols in my life as I worked through the steps and, and different patterns that, that kind of kept this cycle churning in me. And then he interjected with a remedy. I began to notice that outside of prayer, the greatest remedy for my fear, anxiety, control was pouring myself out. Because when you're pouring yourself out, you don't have time to think about you because you're so focused in on others. So God gave me all these little bitty lessons throughout the year and then God being God gave me this kind of big 
lesson. And so a couple months back, my wife uh, went through some surgery. It, it wasn't major, but it was enough to kind of make her bedridden for the entire week. And so that entire week, uh, um, I, I just, I woke up each morning just going, God, help me to pour myself out for her because I kind of want to check out. I want to zone out. Help me to pour myself out for her. And then I would recite Philippians 2. That talks about Jesus pouring himself out. That said, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He emptied himself, becoming a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, that, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I began to see something. That Jesus looked ahead to this future joy. And because of that, he was able to pour himself out, out now. And so because Jesus is my example and he's my empower, I would think about him throughout the day as my example to follow. But an example is insufficient. He had to empower me to move forward, to pour myself out. And so that's what I did. I did chores. <laughs> I did lots of chores. I did my chores. I did her chores. I made up chores. I just started doing things. I wanted to make sure she was comfortable, so if she needed a blanket, I'd get you one, all right? I'd get you a blanket. You want some soup, I will go to Chick-fil-A because I know you like their chicken noodle. And if it's Sunday, I will break in, all right? Because I'm getting you what you want. You want to binge watch Gilmore Girls? That's on you. I'm just, I'm not, um, I haven't arrived yet. Uh, but here's, here's what the craziest thing was about that week. Spend the whole week just pouring myself out, just constantly thinking, how can I love her? How can I bless her? How can I move towards her? How can I empty my time, my talents, my treasures for her? And the strangest thing happened. It had never happened in my life before. I couldn't remember a time in which this happened. That entire week, I did not struggle once with fear or anxiety or control. Because the greatest remedy outside of prayer is pouring yourself out. Because when you pour yourself out, it creates room in your heart for the love, the grace, and the joy of God to flood in. You pour yourself out. You pour yourself out. The great lie of Satan is that life centers on you. Everyone else is just kind of orbiting around you. Jonathan Edwards said that the great sin of mankind is that the love that was meant to radiate out from us has now curled in upon itself. That we were meant to radiate out the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control, the meekness, the, the generosity of God. And yet what sin has done, and it's, it's, it's made it curl in upon itself. And so our times, our talents, our treasures, everything end with us. It terminates on us. It's always about us. And then we wonder why we're so anxious and fearful and try to control things. Because we've made it about us. And so how are you using your time? Are you guarding it? This is my time. Or are you giving it away? How are you using your talents? Are you using it to build yourself up or to bless others? How are you using your treasure? 
Are you using them for your own comforts or for Christ? I tell young husbands all the time, I said, hey, you come home after a long day, the moment you, you touch that doorknob going inside, you need to recite to yourself Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church and gave himself up for her. So when you naturally want to check out, pour out. And I hope that little phrase haunts you like it haunts and helps me. You want to check out, you want to zone out, you pour out. Because that's how you live. That's how you die. But pouring yourself out means that you're pouring into something. Or namely pouring into someone. So as you pour yourself out, you pour yourself out by pursuing relationships. Just scan through 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 15 and 19 through 21. There are 17 people listed by name. 17 people listed by name. In a letter from one guy to another guy, there are 17 other people listed by name. And as you read through this, you see Paul has this intimacy with them as he gives them instruction. There's intimacy and there's instruction. He has an intimacy with them. He knows them. He knows where they're at. He knows what they're doing. He knows what they're good at, what they're not good at. There's an intimacy. There's a knowledge that he has towards them. And yet from that intimacy comes instruction. You can't have one without the other. To give instruction to someone isn't loving. To know somebody but to not instruct them in the word of God is not loving. And Paul has both. He has intimacy. He knows them. And yet he has instruction. He sounds like a coach calling plays. You go over here. You do this. You bring this. You all two stay here. He has intimacy and he has instruction. That's what community is. That's what biblical community is. I saw this for the first time in college. I had a group of friends. I'd had Christian friends before, but I never had godly brothers before. You see, a Christian friend, you have Jesus in common, amongst other things. Godly brothers, you have Jesus as the center, and everything radiates out from that. So I moved into this apartment with this group of guys, and, and honestly, we, we said this openly after a couple of weeks, like, hey, I don't know if we would have been friends if it wasn't for Jesus. Like, we were so different in every way. Like, we had no commonalities, but we did have Jesus. And throughout that year, I learned what it meant to have intimacy and have instruction, to walk in community. On Monday nights, we would open up and share about what was going on in our world and our life. And it was, we'd share sin struggles. We would share things that were exciting us. We were sharing uh, um, the girl that we were pursuing, which ironically enough, of the four of us, three of us met and ultimately married the girl that we would be married to that year as we walked together and were able to give instruction to one another and help one another through that. So we had this intimacy with one another, and then, then we had this instruction that they would help, we would help one another kind of navigate, especially in the ways that God had uniquely gifted us individually. And so this one guy was amazing at prayer. He was so good at prayer. Like he, and, and not just praying, like he was spontaneously praying. And I had never seen someone do this before. And so like he walked into the apartment, and I remember we hadn't uh, unloaded yet. We hadn't actually moved in yet. We just kind of walked in, we're checking out. And he looked around, and he just goes, hey, this is an area that we're going to invite people into, we're going to share the gospel in, we're going to invest in people, we're going to hopefully bless people. And so let's pause and let's pray. And so he just started praying. And I had never seen that before. 
And so I didn't know what to do, and I just was super awkward at the time. And so I was just like, I don't, do, do, are, do we hold hands? Is there a candle involved? Like, and so I literally just kind of reached over and started like holding his hand, and he was like, stop that. That's weird. And it was weird. But I grew because I saw him live out the way God has wired him. There was this other guy in our group that was amazing at counseling biblically. Like he just would, we would come to him with the most confusing problems and with no possible answer. And then he'd be like, oh yeah, I actually read that. Um, I read about that the other day. And so here it is. It's just right here. Oh, that's fascinating. It's easier than I, than I was thinking. Um, and he just, could just speak the truth of God into us. There was this other guy that was an amazing servant. Like every time we walked in, the dishes were done. He was doing them partly because he was diagnosed with minor OCD, but mostly Jesus, mostly, mostly Jesus. Either way, we had a clean house. And so, but man, we grew because of how he served us. We grew. And so I graduated college and I left and it was, um, I didn't have that. I didn't have that for a season. Outside of my wife, nobody knew me intimately enough that could instruct me. And for those that know my story, that led to some poor decisions at work. That led to exhaustion. That led to burnout. That led to a near mental breakdown. So I had no one that knew me well enough to speak into my life that way. And now I've resolved I will never not have this. I don't want Christian friends. I want godly brothers. I want godly sisters in Christ that we can run together with. And so now that's what I have in community. I have guys that I meet with on Wednesdays. And my goal for to know them well is just to go, what is on my brother's head today? So we talk constantly. We know each other. We walk together. So that whenever it comes time to instruct, I know where they're at and I can speak directly to them. There's intimacy. There's instruction. That's community. So for you, which one do you really have? You have Christian friends. You call it a community group. Or do you have godly brothers and sisters? Is Jesus just one of the things you have in common? Or is Jesus the center of everything? Do you have people that love you but aren't impressed with you? Do you have people that know you intimately enough that they could speak and instruct you exactly where you are? Community is forged. It's not formed. It's not found. It's forged. Pursue relationships. That's how you live. Because that's how you die. Now with community, there's intimacy. There's instruction. And then there's issues. Um, there's a lot of issues in community. And I think that's why we kind of isolate ourselves because we don't want to deal with the issue. And so we kind of take that and go, I don't want to deal with the issues. And so I don't really care about the intimacy. I don't really care about the instruction. And we kind of push it away. Can I tell you something? The, the, the hardships of community are nothing compared to the hardships of living life without it. And so there's issues, and we see this playing out with Paul. And so as you pursue relationships, get ready to persevere through some hardships. Verse 14, Alexander, 
The coppersmith, he did me harm. No, that's a person. That's a relationship. Alexander, the coppersmith, he did me harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So I want you to notice there's two different groups of people here. There's those that are inside the church. There's those that are outside the church. For those that are outside the church, don't know Jesus Look at how Paul responds. He says, hey, Alexander, the coppersmith, this guy that doesn't, doesn't agree with our message, notice how Paul responds to him. He says to him, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul trusts in the justice of God when he's harmed by people outside of the church. He doesn't try to harm them. He doesn't try to, try to take justice into his own hands. He just trusts in the justice of God. But there's another group of people people inside the church. Notice how Paul responds to them. He says that my first offense, hey, nobody came to stand by me. Just like Jesus on the cross, everyone fled. All deserted me. But then just like Jesus on the cross, look, may it not be charged against them. He offers forgiveness to them. He offers grace to them. The grace that he's received, he extends it to those that are in Christ, knowing that God has already given them grace. So for those outside of the church, he goes, God is just, and he's going to deal with them. He's going to deal with their sin, and that's either going to be on Jesus on the cross, or that's going to be on them for eternity in hell, and I don't want anyone to go to hell, and so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to trust in the justice of God. I'm not going to try to harm them. I'm not going to do eye for an eye, but I'm going to show grace and trust that God's got this. And then for those inside the church, I'm going to extend forgiveness. I'm going to extend grace because I know at the end of the day, we're going to sit at the same table in eternity. And so for some of you, there's people in your life, there's friends, there's family members, there's bosses that you are terrified to speak up to. Because you don't trust in the justice of God that he's got all this. You're still trusting in yourself. Or some people here that as you walk throughout the, the hallways here, you actively avoid people because they've harmed you and you're not extending forgiveness to them. So it's hurting you, it's hurting them, it's hurting us. For those outside the church, you trust that God is just. For those inside the church, you extend grace and forgiveness. That's how you persevere when hardships come, especially when they come at the hands of people because they typically do. That's how you live, because that's how you die. Now, if we were to stop right there, I think we would do what we do with most resolutions at this point. Like, I think that we would leave here and maybe we would grab one or two of these and we would kind of run out and just try to maybe make some false commitments or make some promises to ourselves. And I think we would go out, and I think in like a couple of weeks or like a couple of days, we would forget about all of this. And we just kind of move on. And just like you're running clothes aren't going to get a lot of active wear this year. Neither will all of these. And so this last one holds everything together. This last one is most important. It's the simplest because you were created to do this. And yet it's the most difficult because sin makes everything seem so much better. Because sin lies. So as you preach the word as you pour yourself out, as you pursue relationships, as you persevere in hardships, press into Christ. Some of the last words on the last page 
the last chapter from one of the greatest men that ever lived, he says this in verse 17, as everyone has turned their back on me on, as he's persevered through hardships, he says this, but the Lord stood by me, the Lord strengthened me. So that through my message, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and watch this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever, amen. And then he reverses it to us in verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. When Paul was alone, he wasn't alone. Look at it. The Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me. The Lord will rescue me. And the Lord is with us. He's with our our spirit. And so Jesus is the one that strengthens us. Jesus is the one that protects us. Jesus is the one that is with us always. So if you have to chase after him, even if you have to do it alone, he's worth it. He's worth it. And so one of my favorite scenes in the Narnia series is in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you remember that story, it was Prince Caspian, and he set sail east to see Aslan's country. He believed that Aslan was in the far east, and so they just, he took off with a group of men, and in that group of men, there was this one little bitty mouse named Reaper Chief. Y'all remember Reaper Chief? He was the smallest amongst them, and he was the most courageous. He had the most passion and zeal to seek after Aslan. And so they start going on all these, uh, this voyage, and they go from island to island to island, and they keep, it keeps getting worse, it keeps getting harder, and they get to the final island before the world's end, before they would potentially see Aslan, and all the men are tired, they're upset, and they want to return back to the comforts they had back home. They forgot why they left in the first place. They just want to go home. They just want to uh, kind of kick this off, and they don't want to keep pressing into Aslan. They don't want to keep pursuing him. And so they all start debating, hey, let's just go back. Hey, how are we going to go back? When are we going to go back? And they all start talking, and Caspian's trying to hold them back. And he finally realizes that Reepachief hasn't inserted himself into the conversation. He, he th- he's like, hey, Reepachief, I th- you were the one. Like, like, I, I thought you would speak up first, and Reepachief is looking out to the east. And Caspian says, hey, why haven't you spoken up? And I love what Reepachief says. He says, why should I? And my own plans are made. While I can, I will sell east on the Dawn Treader. When she fails me, I will paddle east in the life raft on board. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise in hopes of seeing my sweet, sweet Aslan. If I have to do it alone, I will. I'll take this boat by myself. I'll paddle, I'll swim, I'll do anything. And if I die trying, so be it. I hope to see him in the distance because he's worth it. That glimpse of him is worth anything that I would leave behind to find him. He is worthy. And so I will press into him. And so this little bitty mouse's courage gave these great men confidence. And they end up all getting on the boat, pursuing after Aslan. You might feel like you're the only one in your community, at work, in your home, in your families that's pressing into Christ. You take courage. You press into him. And you pray that that would give other people confidence to do the same. So if he calls you to 
preach the word, which he has. You press into him. You take whatever platform he's given you and you preach the word of God. You press into Christ because fears are going to naturally hold you back. But he can free you from those fears. To preach the word, you got to know the word. And so delve into the Bible so that the Bible delves into you. Swim in the Bible. Don't just check it off your list until you want to go and do something that you really want to do. But swim in it. Read it so it will read you. Invest into it so it invests into you. Pour yourself into it so that it might pour you, itself into you. Swim in it. To preach the word, you've got to know the word. And so press in to Christ to preach the word. If God calls you to pour yourself out, you don't want to. None of us do. So press into Christ. Press into Christ and see the one who used his time, talents, and treasures to make us all we were meant to be. See him as that example, but see him as the empower of your heart. Pour yourself out as you press into Christ. If he calls you to pursue relationships, which he has, we don't want to. We want to isolate. We don't want to deal with issues. We don't want to pursue people. We don't. That's our fleshly nature. We want to isolate. You press into Christ as you pursue intimacy with others, that you might instruct them so that they would be all that God's meant them to be. He calls you to persevere in hardships. He has. You press into Christ as the one who's persevered through the greatest hardship. You look to him and he'll get you through it. Because something's gonna happen in 2019 that you're not ready for. But he is. He is. No matter where you go, no matter what he calls you to do, you press into him because he is our strength. He is our provider. He is our protector. He is the only one worth giving up everything for. And he'll be with you always. So press into Christ. That's how you live because that's how you die. So last little story. Uh, our, our yearly tradition now in the Matthews household is, is uh, we don't give gifts, we give memories. It started a few years back when we were making no money. Um, and so we couldn't give gifts, and so we had to give memories. And so what we do is this, we have a series of 10 questions that we kind of walk through. And with these questions, we write them on this envelope, and on the inside, we write the answers. And then we put them on our Christmas tree. And they decorate our Christmas tree with memories of the last year. And so Christmas morning comes around and, and we get together and we open up all these different memories from this past year and we share about our, the three top moments of this last year or the, the three things we felt the most blessed with or, or the, most, the biggest answered prayer or the thing that we were most excited to see happen to somebody else this year. And we spend time talking and, and laughing and, and crying and, and remembering what happened. We look back on the year and said, hey, what mattered most were these things. And it's become one of our favorite traditions in our household. Now, what was interesting is as we were going through, I realized every single one of them had to do with preaching the word, pouring ourselves out, persevering in hardships, pursuing relationships, pressing into Christ. We did Whole30 this past year. That didn't show up. 
We got a better handle on our finances this last year. That didn't show up. My wife read 50 books this past year. I read not that. Um, That didn't show up. What did was moments in which God gave us the ability to preach the word of God to people, to be a disciple, to make disciples. Moments in which we got to pour ourselves out so that we could help other people become who God intended them to be. Moments in which we got to pursue relationships. Our community group is better than it's ever been as we had to go through some issues in the process. (laughs) Moments in which we had to persevere through hardships that we did not know were coming at the beginning of this time last year. But all moments in which we got to press into Christ. And if that's true, at the end of one year, how much of that will be true at the very end of our life? As we look back at what really mattered most. You see, when Jesus came, this is what he did. He preached the word of God to a corrupt and crazy culture. He poured himself out that we might become everything we were meant to be. He pursued a relationship with us that he would know us intimately, we would know him intimately, and he could give us instruction of how to live our lives. He persevered in the greatest hardship of all on the cross, and he died, and yet he didn't stay dead so that we could press into him as life happens in every moment in between. And so, Watermark Plano, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is going to come and judge the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Pour yourself out. Pursue relationships. Persevere in hardships. And press into Christ. These are resolutions worth making. And they're resolutions worth keeping. Because that's how you live. Because that's how you die. Let me pray for us. Father, I know my own heart. I know I keep drifting. It's being so short-sighted. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God I love. Lord, help me, help us to chase after our sweet, sweet Jesus. Father, help us because we are radically, more than we understand, more than we can comprehend, dependent upon you. So Lord, would you help us? Would you show your grace to us? Would we celebrate at the end of our lives what mattered most as you bring us safely into your kingdom in which we will celebrate you ever and ever.